right? So there's a, a, a great um, scholar, writer, theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis, and, and he said that there are far, far better things that lie ahead than anything that we leave behind. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the best days of your life are in the past or that the best days of life are yet to come uh, for you? C.S. Lewis seemed to believe that the best days were yet to come, not things that we're going to actually uh, leave behind. Right now, we're kind of in this uh, perpetual breaking down of our bodies, right? Uh, we're, we're in this place where um, we can't hear as well as we'd like to, that that's starting to go his way, and so we're always kind of, uh, hey, uh, what'd you say? Can you please repeat yourself? We're constantly having to increase the prescription in our eyeglasses because our eyes are breaking down. Our bodies, as strong as we think they are men, they've, for some of us, they've re- reached their peak and now they're on the backside of things, right? And for some of us, our ligaments and our joints don't work the same way that they used to. Our memory isn't as good as it used to be. And there are things that we wish that we could remember that we're no longer able to remember. Things are breaking down inside of our bodies, Wrinkles are showing up in places that we didn't used to have wrinkles. We look at our hands and we say, well, that's my mom's hand. That's not my hand. We look at our neck and we're starting to see the wrinkles show up on our neck. And we're like, well, that's not supposed to be there. That's not supposed to be happening. And if we're granted the normal lifespan of 70 to 80 years that the CDC and all the people say the lifespan is supposed to be right now, some of us are playing with more of the backside of life. We're on the back nine. As, as opposed to the front nine of life. If I were to put it in more sports terms, some of us are in the third and fourth quarter of life and, and trying to figure out what is going on with our bodies. And some of us might even be in going with that same lifespan. We might still be in that first, second quarter of life, but the pains and the ailments and, and the things that are going on inside of your body, it feels like you're living in the third and fourth quarter of your life. So some of us have just taken so much pounding in our lives that the temptation for us is to lose heart. And, and when we lose heart, we begin to, to lose joy, believing that the, the best days are behind us and forgetting that there's so much greatness yet to come and thinking that there's actually nothing to look forward to. But as our bodies break down, it reminds us uh, a, very, a very significant truth that, in fact, that our best days aren't behind us. They are in front of us. It reminds us that this life isn't the end. Right? There's more beyond this life. There's more yet to come. That's the hope of the resurrection that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. The hope of the resurrection actually leads us to a place where we believe that our best days are ahead and they're not behind. As a pastor, one of the responsibilities and the privileges of my job and the things that I get to do is I get to walk through the last stages of life with families. I've, I've been called to, to sit in in the hospital with loved ones who've, uh, that are taking their last breath. I've been called um, to sit in with uh, loved ones who are on hospice care. Uh, I've been called in the emergency situations, Anthony, you need to get here and you need to get here now. And the reality is that in most of those situations, they, they've ended with us standing at the cemetery saying our, our, our last goodbyes. And at the graveside, I, I've never stood in, 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 in a place where there could, there, there, let me say this, at every graveside that I've stood beside of, the resurrection is the only hope 
that can bring somebody comfort in that moment. And so at every graveside that I've ever stood by and every cemetery that I've ever put my foot in where I was presiding over a, a funeral or a graveside service, the words of 1 Corinthians 15 are the words that I read every single time, and they go like this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are far greater things that lie ahead than things that we've experienced up to this point, than the things that we actually leave behind. But in order for us to get to what lies ahead, there's this changing of clothes, per se, that needs to, that needs to happen. Our bodies have to be suited for the environment that's coming. Our bodies have to be suited for the environment that they're going to inhabit. See, our physical bodies that we have right now, they're suited for earth. And I think we could call this body that we're in, uh, we, we could call it our earth suit. But in order for us to get to the heavenlies, to spend eternity with Jesus, being in the presence of God requires bodies that are suited up a little bit differently. Ashley and I were, were talking about it this week. We're talking about what that might look like. What's a good analogy for us to, to kind of wrap around that? And I like to think of it in, in the realm of, of, of an astronaut who's going into space. Uh, an astronaut, they don't just uh, get ready to go into orbit dressed in T-shirts and shorts, right? They, they don't put on their flip-flops and say, hey, let's, let's head to uh, the moon. When they're getting ready to go out of orbit, to step out of this world and to go into another, uh, another space, into a different world, we might call it, they put on a big helmet, they put on a space boot, or a space suit, they put on moon boots, and they are ready for something like a different world. And in the same way, when that astronaut comes back from orbit and, and, and they're standing down on Earth, it would be ridiculous for them to walk from store to store to go in and grab a burger somewhere in their spacesuit. Right? They don't go into orbit in their flip-flops, and they don't go into the McDonald's in their spacesuit. You get dressed for the environment that you're getting ready to be in. When our bodies break down, our bodies are preparing themselves for another world. God is preparing us for uh, another world that's yet to come. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15 with us. Last week we talked about the resurrection, uh, resurrection but we're not done uh, yet, so I want to keep studying there. So look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's where we ended last week. The, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as, by man came, or, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to focus in here on verse uh, 21. Uh, I don't want to rush past this because uh, I, I believe that there's a whole lot of pain and a lot of suffering that's wrapped up in verse 21 here, okay? Uh, the first part of verse 21, he says, For as by a man came death, and then you skip over to 22, For as in Adam all die. By a man came death, in Adam all die. This is the root cause of why things 
are breaking down uh, around us and that are breaking down on us. Adam's sin in the garden led to death. Not only did it lead to physical death, but it led to spiritual death as well. And there's just no way for us to get around it. Um, the, the, a lot of the pain and the suffering and the heartache that we experience now as our body begins to break down or as we lose people around us, it all started way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, when there was sin that entered into the garden. The emotional struggles that we walk around with, it started back in the garden. The insecurities that we feel that make us lash out in different ways, that all started back in the garden. The depression that we medicate for and we try to uh, seek help with, it all started back in the garden. When your kids get a little bit mouthy and, and all you want to do is like send them back to their room or give a little bit of corporal punishment, if you believe in that sort of thing, like, like when your kids get mouthy, it goes back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. When your back hurts, when you get up out of bed, and, and there's always that crick, and you have to just kind of straighten it out when you wake up, like that goes back to Genesis chapter 3 and, and Adam's sin in the garden. Your hairline's retracting. <laughs> Grays start to show up. Things start falling. Muscles don't do the same things they used to do. The eyesight again, the hearing. That all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. It all goes back to one man's sin that led to death. One man's sin who made corruption in out throughout the world. When your body doesn't do what it's supposed to do anymore, it all goes back to the garden. See, we've been in the process of dying ever since Adam's sin in the garden. Now, now, we can live well. We can take care of our bodies, and we should take care of our bodies because our bodies are a temple of the Lord, and we should be good stewards of what God's given us. But at the end of the day, the end result is always going to be the same. Unless Jesus comes back, death is always going to win. Death, at this point, outside of Jesus' resurrection, death is undefeated, right? And in its wake comes pain, comes heartache, comes some suffering. But in those same verses of, of verses 21 and 22, where there's pain, where there's suffering, where there's death, there's also this incredible amount of hope that's wrapped up there too. Look at verse 21 again. For as by a man came death, here's the flip, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, here's the flip, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. One man wrecked it all, and one man in Jesus is going to put everything back together. And there are a few million dollar questions that come along with how this actually plays out, because we know what it feels like to be dying. Right? We know our daily experience reminds us of what it feels like to be in this process of experiencing death. Maybe not death yet, but we are in that process. Be encouraged this morning, right? We know what that feels like. But what does it feel like to be made alive here that Paul talks about? What does it feel like to be made, made alive? What does a resurrection body look like? If the old's going to be taken off and, and we get suited for eternity, we take off the earth suit and we put on our heavenly suit. What's that going to look like? And when will I get the new body? These are all great questions. These are questions that we have, that we walk around with today as we feel the, the pain and the angst and everything that comes along with this process of um, going towards the backside of life. But there's also questions that the Corinthians had while they were sitting down with Paul or while they were writing this letter to Paul. And remember, they're wrestling with the reality 
of the resurrection? Can we believe in the resurrection? Can we trust that? Did it really happen? Or can it really happen for us? And Paul said, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then none of us are going to be raised from the dead. If he wasn't raised, we're not raised. And if we're not raised, we are living in vain. There's nothing for us to look forward to. But Paul says, he did rise. He was the first fruits that we talked about last week. He was the first to come. And then in verse 23, he says, those who belong to Christ are going to follow as well. They are going to rise as well. And so to answer the timeline question of when is the resurrection actually going to happen, what Paul does is he lays out this, uh, this eschatological timeline starting here in verse 23. Now, eschatology, it's, it's just a fancy word to say that it's the study of the end times and how everything's going to shake out uh, throughout the end. And there are all kinds of timelines when you start talking about the end times and, and, and uh, really great uh, scholars have put together these complex timelines and charts and um, land in, in different places. But when you're getting ready to put together a theology um, like, like eschatology, what happens is you, you take Old Testament understanding and, and Scripture, you take New Testament understanding and Scripture, and you put those together, and you see how has God talked about this topic all throughout time? How does it fit into the meta-narrative of all of Scripture, what God is moving us towards? It, when you're putting together a theology, you never take one verse and isolate it by itself, because when you isolate one verse by itself, you can make that verse say anything you want it to say. And so when we're putting together our understanding on a particular topic, we look at everything that God has spoken on this particular position. And then we can come out with a theology on the other side. Now, like I said, there are so many views when it comes to the resurrection. There are so many views that come when the resurrection is going to happen and what the resurrection body is going to look like. But like we talked about last week, do you guys remember we talked about open-handed conversations and closed-handed conversations? The closed-handed conversations are the things that we just don't budge on. These are the doctrines that, that, that handle all of our faith, and if you were to pull those out, then everything falls down. And the open-handed conversations, those are the things that we can, we can differ on, and it's not going to shake our faith. It's not going to take us out of uh, Christian orthodoxy. This particular topic, when we talk about the resurrection, it's a little bit of both. The resurrection is closed-fisted because th this is unshakable for us. We do not debate whether the resurrection happened or didn't happen because this is foundational to our, our faith. And so it's a closed-handed conversation. But when the resurrection will happen for us, that's an open-handed conversation. And there are scholars who have landed in different places uh, on, on this. And so what I'm going to do is, uh, in just a second, we're going to put up a, a timeline here. I, I'm not a timeline guy, okay? I'm not a chart guy uh, for two different reasons. I don't think I'm smart enough to be a chart guy, okay? And, and, and secondly, I don't know if they're all that helpful for us at the end of the day, um, but as I was reading um, in, in this passage, like, Paul made me, okay? Paul made me put together a timeline. The, script, the, the scripture that we're looking at, like, I had to do something with it, so I, I think it will help us hang uh, 23 through 28 on it. And so uh, go ahead and throw up the timeline. Here's my timeline. Everybody cheer at that. It just looks amazing, right? It's, 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 yeah, I was just really joking. Um, super simple, right? It, it's super simple. So what I want to do is, um, guys, you'll probably have to jump in and out of, of the passage, uh, but I want you to look at it real quick, and then we're going to explain with 23 through 28 what's going on here, okay? Verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is, ex- that, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son will himself uh, also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. That's a lot of words, right? Okay, so if we throw that timeline back up there. So you have Jesus died. Jesus was raised. And verse 23 tells us that there's going to be a resurrection for, uh, for those who belong to Christ. The question that's on the table is when is that resurrection going to happen? Well, Paul tells us, not necessarily here in 1 Corinthians, he actually tells us a little bit in Philippians. And so uh, we're going to throw up Philippians 4 over here, but if you have your Bible, you can flip there too. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, and starting in verse 15, Paul says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be, taught, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so in Philippians, uh, or First Thessalonians uh, 4 here, what you have is something called the rapture that, that, that's being described. And a rapture, it means carrying off. It's the carrying off of believers to be with Jesus. And for us, it's the carrying off of the church to be with Jesus. It's the moment where believers from every age past, so every believer who's trusted in the Lord from this point back to the present age, whenever the resurrection happens, whenever Jesus comes back, when all of those are raised together, the, the dead in Christ are raised first, and then those who are living who are in Christ to meet up them, with them together with the Lord in, uh, in, in the air. And at that moment, and in an instant, our bodies are glorified. In an instant, we receive the resurrection body, a body that is suited for eternity in the presence of God. And so at the rapture, we are given resurrection or glorified bodies. Our earth suit gets taken off, and we are refitted for an eternity now in glory with the Savior that we long to see. We're in a brand new environment. And Paul tells us what that looks like again with the scriptures that we already read in chapter 15. At the end, of it, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, it's the same thing that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's a brand new body. And so if you walk in angst, and you feel pain, and you wonder, when on earth is this going to happen? Paul doesn't nail down the day, but he tells us there's a day when, when you think that it can't get any worse, it's actually the day when everything gets better. It's going to get better than, than what it is that you're feeling now. This is the hope that we hang all of that on. And then after the rapture, I believe you have something. Uh, go ahead and pull the timeline back up there. After the rapture, I think you have something that's called uh, the tribulation that lasts for seven years, that Daniel explains in his prophecy. And we're not going to go into that today because that's not what we're here for right now. And after that time, there's going to be the second coming of Jesus, 
where he actually comes back onto the earth. And that's what I think Paul is describing here in verses 24 through uh, 28. And in that time, there's going to be this 1,000-year period or the millennial kingdom as it's been uh, spoken about in Reve- that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. If you want to write that down, Revelation chapter 20, um, that will give you a, a little bit of a clue what that will look like. Um, and in that time, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to reign on earth. And at the beginning of that time, Satan's going to be thrown into the abyss. The door, the door on Satan is going to be locked. The millennial kingdom is going to commence. And then believers during this time are going to reign with Christ. For a thousand years, believers are going to sit and we're going to reign with Christ. Satan, at the end of that, that, that millennial kingdom, he's going to be released at the end of that time. And at that point, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, never to torment the saints again. And it's at this point that everything that's been done in the garden, everything that we feel, the breaking down of our bodies right now, it's at this point, losing my brain here, it's at this point, everything that happens in Genesis 3 becomes undone. The pain that our bodies feel, the angst that we feel, all of that is done. Death is defeated. The death that we began to die, it's finally undone. And the promise that we get in Genesis chapter 3 in 15, where you have this crushing of Satan's head, it is finally fulfilled. It started at the cross, and then at the end of the kingdom, this is the final fulfillment of that. And Paul says in verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This passage is telling us that our best days aren't behind us that our best days are actually ahead. And there's so much more that we could talk about in answering this question, when is the resurrection going to actually happen? What I want to do is I want to answer the next question or try to answer the next question. What's the resurrection body going to be like? Skip down to verse 35. Verse 35, he says, someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that's to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as as he's chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and one glory and, and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual, verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. You see this shift that changes here? Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's a lot of words. It's a lot of illustrations, a lot of pictures, seed, 
being planted, a change happening here. Do you guys remember the story of uh, Humpty Dumpty? You guys remember that story? Uh, Humpty, he was sitting on the wall, and Humpty Dumpty, he had a great fall, right? And what happened to Humpty Dumpty when he had that great fall? Yeah, yeah, he fell, fell to pieces. Don't act like y'all haven't read the, read the story, all right? Like, he, he falls into a bunch of pieces, and all the king's horses and all the king's men... Yeah, there you go. Poor little Humpty. He had a problem, and nobody could put him back together. It's really a really sad tale. You, you know, we read these stories to our kids, like, oh, there, really? There was no redemption for Humpty? There's no coming back uh, for him in this? But even if the horse, all the king's horses and all the king's men could have put Humpty back together again, they would have been taking bits and pieces of brokenness in order to put him back together. They might have been able to glue him back together, but those pieces would have still been broken. All broken pieces to do the work. And, and, and the end product would have still been a, a mess. What Humpty needed in that moment was he needed a complete resurrection. Not just gluing those pieces back together. He needed to be completely made new. Now listen to this. If at the resurrection, all God did was put us back together again, like Humpty Dumpty being put back together. If all he did was put us back together again, just taking all of our old stuff that was the same as before, putting them back together, there wouldn't be any improvement, Right? The same anxieties, the same angst, the same pain, the same problems. If all he did was take the pieces that we buried into the ground and put them back together that way, we'd have the same thing going on. At the resurrection, what happens is we get a completely new glorious body. Completely new glorious body. But at the same time, there's something remarkably similar about that body. There's something amazing that happens here at the resurrection with our resurrection bodies. This illustration that the seed is planted in the ground, it dies and it becomes a tree, right? But when that becomes a tree or when it becomes a plant, that seed is still present. But it's totally changed into something that, that Paul is saying it's much better. It's still the seed, but it's much better than just the seed. A man dies and he's put into the ground and somehow he rises and he's recognizable, but he's so much better than what it was when he was buried before. Think back with me to 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now think about this. We shall be like him, and we're going to see him as he is. This is remarkable, okay? This is remarkable, because our resurrection bodies are somehow going to resemble the resurrection body of Jesus. But what does Jesus' resurrection body look like? How, how, how did people respond to that resurrection body? Well, when uh, he was somewhat unrecognizable, right? When, when uh, he's resurrected and, and they go to try to find him at the tomb, they, they don't understand this is exactly who he is. They, they mistake him for the gardener. They see him, but they can't really see him. I and mean, we don't understand exactly how that worked. On the, on, on the road to Emmaus, there's this another. They don't know who he is. They, they, they can't figure out what's going on until he allows them to see uh, who he is. So, so to some, some degree, the resurrection body, it appears that they're, they're, you're going to be unable to recognize, but it's going to be so close and so similar that, that you're going to be able to get it. Like, it's going to be glorified, but you're still going to be able to recognize Jesus was real. He was of substance. He wasn't just a spirit. He was able to eat, he was able to drink, he was able to sit down with people, he was able to be touched. He, he, he bore the marks on his hands in his resurrected body. He said, hey, take a look, see the mark in my side, see, see, see the nail prints in my hand. And so somehow he bore the marks of, 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 of his uh, crucifixion. 
And so to what degree our, our flesh actually, when we are physically, bodily resurrected, we, we are able to see exactly uh, as Jesus was seen? We don't know. But this is, he says, as he was, we shall be as, as well. Here's how Paul describes it in, in 15 here. He said, what dies is, is perishable. The resurrection body is going to never die again. What gets sown into the ground is, is dishonorable. And what that means is that the appearance of life, no matter how much beauty there was, no matter how much of a lack of beauty there, that there was that we could perceive, it's going to dull in comparison to the resurrection body that is completely, fully glorified and is 100% glorious. This is what gets sown into the ground. It, it, it dies and it's weak. No matter how strong you perceive your life to be while you're alive on earth, you're going to be raised in so much power. The things that, are, that are, ail our bodies right now, the pains, the depression, the anxiety, the lost feeling in our legs and our hands and our, and our limbs, the pain that we wake up with, the pain that we go to sleep with, the, the lungs that struggle to breathe, the, the eyesight that is failing, that's the pain of aging and getting older, all that's going to be gone with the resurrection body. Paul says what's natural from the dust of the ground that gets associated and bears the image of Adam, all, all, all of that was natural, not, not spiritual. But when we're raised, we're no longer going to be earthly. We're no longer going to be children of dust. We're no longer going to bear the image of Adam, but we're going to bear the image of the Lord. Now, we know that we're image bearers at creation, but we've got a bit of a broken image because we're still carrying around sin. But in the glorified body, what that's going to look like is we are going to fully 100% be, be glorified, fully in the image that was broken in Genesis chapter 3, and even better than, than that. Without blemish, we're going to bear the image that God has been redeeming since the garden. Because I know when we read this, and this should bring us to shouts of joy. It should bring us to tears of joy. It should bring us to a place where how on earth could God do something like this? This is what we have to look forward to. This is the power of God's resurrection changing us. This is the power of God's victory at work in us. This is the power of his victory over death. This is the power of him doing what he set out to do from the garden. This is the power at work. This is what enables Paul to say, and what enables us to say when we stand at a graveside and when we're going through pain and we've lost somebody or we're feeling angst in our own lives, it's what enables us to say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And why is this so important for us? Because I think being sure of what happens when we die or when things are breaking down or when we begin to feel like our best days are behind us and that we don't feel like there's anything for us to, to look forward to, I think this is indispensable as a believer in Christ for our daily courage and the daily joy that we walk around with. The spiritual separation, this emotional turmoil that we have, the fear and the shame and the hiding that we go through, the physical pain that we feel, the glorified body, that, that Paul is describing here. It is the reversal of everything that happens in Genesis chapter 3. It's when all that is finally undone. And the challenge for us, guys, is to look at this 
And, and to allow that to give us hope, to look forward, right? To understand that this life isn't the end, that there's another life to come, that this body that I'm, that I'm feeling the brokenness in now is not the last straw. This isn't the last thing. That it, and so he gives us enough information to look forward to, but also not enough information to fixate on. Let me say that again. He gives us enough information to look forward to, but not enough to just fixate on. Because if he wanted us to understand how all this worked, he would have gave us exactly how it worked. He would have told us that we wouldn't have these questions of when's it going to be, what's it going to look like, and fully be able to understand. If he wanted us to fully understand, he would have given us everything that we need to know. But what can happen is we can start studying the end times, and we can start studying the resurrection, and we can start studying what our body, and we can fixate on that, and we can forget that the hope of the resurrection is actually to give us courage to live out now, it's to give us courage to talk to our neighbors. It's to give us courage to speak up the name of Christ. The hope of the resurrection is, is to give us hope and comfort, but also to pass on to somebody else. Look, look at what he says in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he just has this amazing death victory over death, victory over sin. We're reigning with Christ. Satan is destroyed. And he says, but don't lose your focus. Don't, don't, don't lose it. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work's not in vain. So he says, let this give you hope, but don't fixate on it. Like, get out to work. Go share this hope that, that, that we have. Our fight is, is already won. The battle is already over, and when, so when we're facing our bodies breaking down, we look at the empty tomb, we look at the hope of the resurrection, we look at his resurrection and the promise that we're going to be there too. We look at the victory that he's already given to us, and we say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And we begin to feel like, man, I've lived the best of my days. We say, no, 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 no. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Would you pray with me? Father, this is uh, glorious material, um, <laughs> ingloriously delivered, um, but it doesn't change the fact that your word is so crucial to us. The hope of the resurrection is so keenly important in a time where it feels like everything is falling apart. Father, I've got brothers and sisters in the room who are in pain. And they are full of hope that one day you're going to restore their bodies. That you're going to give them this glorified body that you talk about. We've got friends in the room that don't yet have that hope. Who they hear these words, they read these words, but yet Jesus hasn't become real to them. And so the pain that they feel and the angst that they have, it hasn't yet been driven into hope that it's going to be gone one day. And so for those brothers and sisters, I pray, God, that they would come to know you right now, that they would trust Jesus as their Savior, that they would see that he died and that he rose, and as he rose, he'll raise us as well, that their sin has been paid for by him and has opened up the door to eternity so that we might be able to take off this earth suit and put on a heavenly suit. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have become fixated on the end, and have forgotten that they've got people around them who don't yet know Jesus and they need to talk with them. They need to share the hope that they have. Father, at the end of the day, 
We want to have hope that drives us to speak your name. And so I pray that. I pray that for your spirit to move in us. I pray that for your word to go out amongst us. And, and I pray that the resurrection would, would, would lead us to real hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.